Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hey everybody, Mate Sleep Khan here, and you are tuning in to the NCFA's newest podcast series, Fintech Fridays. Let me ask you, I'm a little nervous with my guest today. Our guest today is a absolute juggernaut in the industry. She's been a veteran for 25 years in this space. Uh, today, I have Sue Breton. Sue, thank you so much for making, like, this is incredible. Thank you so much oh for being gosh. here. Well, like, I, I, uh, I'm totally flattered, and you're, um, you're way overdoing it, but I'm thrilled to be here to uh, chat with you. I don't think so, though. I, th- I, think, I think you deserve everything I just said, though. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to be completely honest with you. You're the founder and CEO of the FinTech Growth Syndicate, also known as the FGS. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more of what it is and, I guess, what made you launch it? Yeah, sure. The story of launching it has, you know, I left a company... I had a 25-year career working with some really amazing Canadian companies that, um, honestly, they, uh, they are all fintech companies, um, uh, but we didn't, you know, at 25 years ago, we didn't think of them as fintech. They were technology companies providing solutions to financial institutions. And in my last gig, I ran innovation for one of the biggest fintech companies in the world. It's now called Finastra loved what I was doing and when the company decided they wanted to go in a different direction I just thought you know I'm gonna I'm gonna start my own thing and keep doing what what we were doing which is uh, FGS is really here to uh, help accelerate innovation and we do that with big companies and help grow um, grow startups particularly fintechs and and play a role in the industry of being a connector and a and someone who helps promote collaboration so um, it's been exciting. The last three years have been kind of crazy, um, but exciting. That's incredible. So from your amazing, amazing resume, you've also worked with the Canadian government, right? So my next question is, is the Canadian government doing everything they can to be globally competitive in the fintech industry? So it's a tough question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it really directly with no. Um, because we, and, and there's reasons for that. I mean, I... Early, in early days of FGS, I got involved with, um, uh, with Global Affairs, and I am the fintech advisor uh, to Global Affairs as part of their, uh, what they call their ICT advisory committee. And basically what that means is, you know, I'm giving them feedback about how their, their Global Affairs program is working, which I don't know if you know much about that space, but they are... You know, there's something like uh, 1,600 people around the world that are paid by the Canadian government to help companies like, you know, Curex or um, Wealthsimple or, you know, you name one of the thousand fintech companies uh, with, um, you know, support them to do business in other countries. And so that to me is pretty fundamental to what we need um, from the government. And there are other pockets Mm -hmm. that are also, I think, doing really well. And government is kind of this big label for policymakers and regulators. And and the problem we have in Canada, and I think this is a general comment about Canada, is we have such a big geography that we've set up our regulatory um, framework to be, you know, provincial-based in some cases and... 
um, across the board. Uh, you know, there's no one, there's no one regulator. There's no one policymaker. And so, like, I think of it like it's this patchwork quilt. And so, until we figure that out, the government it has a really hard time themselves trying to figure out how to make change happen. Of course. So. That, that amazingly transitions to my next question. So I guess what type of fintech models do you think the Canadian, that Canadian fintechs are, I guess, internationally acclaimed for? And what sectors do you see up and coming that Canadian, that Canadian fintech companies could definitely leave a stamp on? Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you don't want me to answer like all of them. Yeah, for but, sure. <laughs> um, I do think like when you think about the companies that have been successful inside Canada and outside of Canada, you know, Wealthsimple is an easy company that comes to mind because um, you know they're so well funded mm-hmm. and and they've got you know great partners in um, Power Financial and their group of companies like Investors Group, but there's also a lot of other companies that are um, and so they're in the wealth space, right? Of course. Uh, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, I would probably be um, um, remiss if I didn't say you know we are. We are becoming and are very much a leader in that space. Element AI, a couple of years ago, received you know over 100 million dollars in funding, and the funding came from mostly international organizations or U.S.-based um, VCs. That um, they're they're the powerhouses of, uh, of VC investment, and so that kind of started, I think, what was already building, mm-hmm. but started a very much a you know. Um, a wave of AI-focused um, startups. So AI for sure, generally, but also within fintech um, companies like FinAI mm-hmm. from Vancouver, who you know um, are in the conversational banking space. Um, so there's been a lot of success stories. I think the challenge we have, though, is um, you know everyone that starts a company needs revenue to survive. Right. Of course, cash I mean, is oxygen. Cash, yeah, exactly. And even if you, you know, are getting money, seed money, you know, Series A funding or whatever, um, that you know, in the end, those investors want to see a return on their on their um, investment. And so, you need to actually be able to demonstrate that you can sell uh, quickly. And Canada hasn't been very good to our own Canadian startups to support that, right? And so I think most of the fintechs are, are heading, you know, south of the border or um, especially to Europe and other places where it's just easier to get your foot in the door. Um, there's more support and actually those, you know, maybe with the exception of the U.S., uh, the, the, you know, competition is actually um, uh, wanted in these other countries, right? So, For sure. But we have we have some really amazing uh, fintech companies that have done well here and and outside of Canada, and we don't do enough to actually brag about them. I think, um, generally speaking, because I think that would probably make everybody feel a bit more optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want you don't want any uh, you don't want too many braggadocious CEOs, especially <laughs> especially being especially I guess the fintech space being so hard to fund because we're not as willing to open our wallets as say the Americans are or say I guess um, European countries well, are. Well, you know it's funny you say that. So I was at the Empire uh, fintech startups event a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and 
um, Empire actually, had, this is their second time they've had it, and there were two, um, uh, so there was two of them, and then uh, on almost every panel they tried to match sort of U.S. people with Canadian people, and it wasn't overt, it was just more to get pr different perspectives, and one of the uh, panels was about, you know, kind of the modern VC, and um, the, uh, anyway, I had a follow-up call from um, this gentleman, and he's with a, a VC called Reciprocal Ventures, and they're based out of New York, and they want to invest in Canadian fintechs. And if I, I, I probably shouldn't, but I could go on to give you 10 other examples of companies that want to invest in Canadian fintechs. Right. Um, like Canada is super hot from an investing standpoint. There is a lot of interest in our tech and our people and our, our, our companies. Um, and I would say like very much significantly in fintech for sure. So I guess what would be Okay, I guess what what's what would be one of the advantages that Canada has? Would you say that our would you say our diversity plays a factor? That would what, I guess what would be compared to compared to other countries, right? Like why does Canada have an edge in the space? Yeah, well, I mean, I think Canada has this like amazing concentration of talent. We have you know Kitchener Waterloo, Toronto, um, I you know basically coast to coast. We have amazing universities and and um, master's programs now. We have master's programs in fintech. Like, who would have thought, yeah. you know? Um, and that's producing a lot of really great talent. Uh, talent in data, talent in new technology, AI, you know, like Creative Destruction Lab is producing some really amazing um, startups from talent. And, uh, and like, across the country, I think we have like 500 different accelerator programs. Oh yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, and we're not a big country, like, in terms of number of people. And so, you know, I think what makes Canada so great is we've got, we've got great talent that wants to, you know, um, get, break, you know, uh, leading edge technology to, to the market. And, um, and there's people outside of Canada that are willing to help them. Right. I guess with that, um, how do you see programs... I guess like the female founders um, that is part of the DMZ. How do you see these diverse programs within the startup accelerators being playing a huge factor in yeah. the fintech space yeah. in general? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you actually kind of brought me back to that because I know you asked me the diversity question. Um, so being a female, uh, and I'm a founder of a of a fintech accelerator right. as opposed to a fintech, you know, product company. But you know, kind of regardless, like. Um, Diversity, whether it's in, you know, um, gender or, you know, um, you know what, where, where you were born or what language you mm -hmm. speak or your sexual orientation, um, like it's that, you know, the, it's a huge issue. Let's just say that, right? Like there isn't enough that you can do to continue to kind of try, drive mm -hmm. the diversity and equality, um, uh, you know. Um, challenge right and for me as a female I can say I have had you know I, I often actually wear my me too t-shirt because I have had you know a number of really horrible experiences in my career that um, and when I look at some of the people even on our own team who are you know in their early 20s it's still shocking to me that there's still stuff going on um, with you know people coming out of university who probably have you know not any real sense 
of how to um, necessarily handle themselves in a in a tough um, environment, and it's a, I think it's a really big problem. So so programs like um, the ones at the DMZ and and Move the Dial and um, SheEO and all these different great programs that are trying to and I I know I'm mentioning ones that are female. It's totally fine. But yeah. um, that's kind of my <laughs> one of my passion areas. Yeah. But um, they're they're so needed, and and yet they're still only scratching the surface of of the problem. So how many fintech uh, companies are founded and led by by female CEOs? And I unfortunately, because I get asked this question all the time, you know, can we can you help us find female speakers? Because we don't want to have less than. 50% females, you know, at our speaking at our events, and oh. and it's you know, it, it, there are lots of females out there. Don't get me wrong, there's lots of great um, speaking opportunities for senior executives and so on. But try to find, tell me how many are CEOs and founders? Not that many, right? And that's a that's a real shame. So a female founders program, like awesome. We right. need we need a hundred of them. I agree with you. I th- I think. The upside would be that, like, I guess that's that's kind of what makes fintech such an amazing emerging space because it's because traditionally finance has been a very much an old boys club, old yeah right, old men's yep. club where just like it's the creme de la creme. Your you've like my dad's run the bank for thirty years. I'm gonna run it that that kind of mentality. Yeah. But thankfully, with fintech, you're seeing a little bit more a shift where it's a little bit more like the market is the market and the market decides. The market doesn't care if yeah. you're X, Y, and Z, if you're a transgendered, black, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They don't yeah. really care. As long as you're making an amazing product and you are providing an amazing service, yeah. that's all that really matters. That's and they'll support. That's like kind of like, that is actually such a great insight that, you know, and again, a knock against the incumbents who have, you know, maybe gotten fat and happy because they were needed at a certain point in time, but then they got so big that now you've got this all these things that are kind of working against, you know, meeting the changes in the in the in in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's changes in technology or, you know, uh, demographics or whatever. And yet, startups don't have any of those issues. And so, you know, a startup can be much more diverse. A startup can, you know, and will attract many many more females or otherwise that's a really great point and so I think so it, interestingly then maybe you know some of the things we need to do is actually focus our efforts more at trying to build more you know diversity within our technology community because at the end of the day you know while I think there's really great stuff happening mm-hmm. as a female um, I'm still often less than a third less than a quarter sometimes even less than you know Five percent of the audience at many of these, you know, fintech-related um, meetups and events and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're we're doing we're doing better than you we're know before we were before. Right. But we kind of keep the f- foot on yeah. the gas. I, th- I think it comes down to we have mediums like podcasts that we're doing right now. We have blogs. We have live events. I think with every with all those, I think that's gonna help greatly accelerate that change and you're gonna see like whoa hold up like programs like the female founders or like CEO like wait hold up that's a kick-ass female CEO and like her insight 
is just so much more unique than everything else that I'm yeah. like, I can relate to, I can resonate with that, right? Yeah. A- and or this certain transgender CEO or this certain CEO of X nationality, like they have such an interesting viewpoint. You just like, I don't know, it's like, I guess people are slowly realizing that the pie is a lot bigger. Yeah. And like, hey, everybody can have a piece of this and it's helped shedding, mediums like this are helped shedding lights in, on people that you never would have yeah. really thought about before. Yeah, kind of like, oh sure. crap, that's how female CEOs feel. I never knew that. I never understood that. Yeah. Now I can be a little bit more empathetic towards it because now I'm more aware of it yeah. and we can navigate this way. Right. And, you know, one of our, at FGS, as, as a, you know, an, um, a new company, you know, we're entrepreneurs. We're really not trying to, um, you know, kind of fit the norms um, that have been, you know, that are more often found in the in the corporate world. Um, I don't care if my opinion isn't appropriate mm-hmm. for, you know, my, um, my uh, I mean, I'm always going to be professional, but we have to say what we think. And, of course. you know, because that is another challenge with this whole diversity question. Like, in the end, I can say what I think, but often, you know, the men in the room will, you know, do things in order to make us feel like we shouldn't. Of course. And um, and and so we need more outspoken, you know, people on this topic to continue to pound, you know, the pavement. And you know, the, the reality is there we do have mostly men making the decisions, right? And mostly white. Put the poor, you know, white man mm-hmm. has just been. Be, become it's like everybody's immediate you know go scapegoat yeah right oh they're all you know white old white men and they're not but but definitely the male versus female um you know we're not going to really change things until we actually get men to say it's not okay to be complacent about the fact that your you know your team is 95 percent male it's mm-hmm. just not right mm-hmm. because we can give you all sorts of proof that females are just as capable, just as smart, just, we don't need to lift heavy boxes. Don't tell me that my physical strength isn't, you know, is, is part of the issue. It's more, um, it's more the fact that, you know, men actually have to agree and then make it a, make it a, uh, a policy mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone's equal and we're going to treat them equally and we're actually going to, we're actually going to demonstrate equal, you know, um, division of opportunity amongst right. all different categories. Anyway, I feel like I've said too much and it's been Tech <laughs> Friday and we got like... No, no, no. This is, this is great because like, I guess we're having a talk that like, like, like how we, the whole talk started with like not enough people are talking about it. Yeah. So we started talking about it. Yeah, And now true. it's like, okay, I think we said enough. Like I think yeah. we got, we, we covered enough. <laughs> so um, you, did, you did talk about how it's important for entrepreneurs to speak their mind and say it like it is and provoke change and be as provocative as they can to yeah. help change the tide this way or that way. Um, you do deem yourself as a entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur. So yeah. I guess, yeah. could you explain why is it's just important to have entrepreneurs in your organization yeah. as it is to have entrepreneurs in your organization? Yeah, and I, and I actually will just take that completely away from the diversity sure. um, question. Because I think that's about, you know, so innovation, innovation is definitely something that has gotten a bad rap as a way of, you know, characterizing, trying to do something different in an established organization. But when you see innovation 
become a thing in a company, it means that the company's saying, okay, wait a second, the, where, what got us to where we are today was great, it wasn't bad, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it was great, it was great, we've, we've been very successful, but what's gonna get us from today to survive in the next 20 years is likely something different. And we need to bring in people that are 100% focused on, on thinking differently and moving. Because, you know, when you work in a corporate job, I mean, I did it for 25 years, all the new stuff is in that far corner of your desk and you never get to it. And so innovation, these entrepreneurs, these corporate entrepreneurs are there to try and support the company knowing that Technology is changing. Their customers' needs are changing. The, the, you know, what was what was okay in the past isn't okay in the in the future, and we want to move towards the future, right? So, an entrepreneur is also like a startup entrepreneur, right? And the entrepreneurs have to say, wait a second, we need to think differently, or, you know, stop thinking about your biases or your or barriers and think about how can we do this or how might we do this and so I think that you know we do this naturally as entrepreneurs because we have to to survive right but as entrepreneurs we need to give them some more credit for they do a tough job that gets a lot of and I don't know if I can say this but a lot of shit um, and a lot of kicks in the head on on that journey right yeah, it, it comes down to as long as people inside companies are challenging, I guess, their CEOs or the heads of the heads of the departments as like, okay, as long as people start understanding what got us here is not going to take us to the next step. Yeah. Because it's either you evolve or you die, such like mentality, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, it's always, it's always changing. It's always getting better. It's like, okay, no, I can do, <laughs> I can do better than Someone I Someone said once in a meeting, like the, it actually should be change or retire. Yeah. And I think that... <laughs> That actually speaks to, because you talk to a lot of fintechs and they will say, certainly the CEOs, some of them will be very vocal and investors and other folks will be very vocal about the fact that, you know, our big banks are full of this, you know, huge layer of executives who, you know, really don't have any incentive to change and, and maybe have an incentive not to change, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, uh, they're so huge and there's so many layers of them that they really can't challenge the CEO. And they don't want to. They're gonna retire in five years. They've got big stock options on the table. They they get paid, you know, 100% bonuses if they hit their financial targets, which actually mean taking funding away from innovation. And um, change or retire. Like I think, you know, as much as I don't necessarily support, you know, mass, um, you know, uh, firings or or changes i think you do in order for any ceo to really be effective with innovation they need to realize that it's not just that other thing that they're trying to do that one person is going to somehow magically make happen it needs to be across the board across their executive team across their executive teams executive teams you know like the 18 different layers of course um and that that is something that can only be ceo and board driven in the I, end. I agree with you. I, I love the uh, change or retire. That's yeah. I, I have a feeling that's going to be a t-shirt <laughs> at the end of this. Uh, I love that. So, other than okay, so what? Aside from everything we talked about, what other big changes do you hope to see in the fintech space? Other than diversity, other than Canadians, Canadian investors, and Canadian 
financial institutions being a little bit more loose with their wallets. Yeah. What, yeah. what else changes do you hope to see in the space? Well, we are seeing people take risks, right? Like, I think that is one of the things, like, if you look at RBC, um, and we don't work with them, but we, we know their partner, Highline Beta, they do very similar stuff to what we do. Um, and, and there's lots of that out there, so it's great. But I see them launching, like, RBC Ventures, and, and now they've launched, which RBC Ventures is about creating new ventures within, um, not within, I take that back, outside, because they're actually physically outside of RBC, but they're also products that they couldn't probably launch inside of RBC, but yet, you know, kind of strangely, not, they're products that will lead to more RBC customers being able to um, do business uh, with RBC, right? So it, it's all in support of their bigger goal. Now they're doing RBC Reach, which is an accelerator program. You know, like those are those are risks, but um, but that's the kind of stuff that we need to see happening. And I don't see it necessarily as much with the other um, the other big five. You look at Desjardins and National Bank mm-hmm. um, and some of the other uh, smaller financial institutions and credit unions, and they're doing some really amazing things. But generally speaking, our our you know Canada is held back by the fact that the banks can stall mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. because they are you know like collectively the ones that are um, you know ninety percent of the of the market have the power to slow some of these changes like open banking right right i mean open banking is there are companies in canada that can already facilitate open banking open banking is already in the u.s it's already in the uk you know it's it is going to make you know the fintech space explode um because in theory what it does is it gives um the customer of the bank the ability to you know, use a product that today they probably can't use, mm-hmm. um, or you know, may not um, you know may not be able to get access to for whatever reason. So, I mean, those kinds of things. I think I think you're going to see a ton more artificial intelligence-based solutions. I think you're going to see a ton more um, uh, you know new product offerings mm-hmm. beside the existing bank product okay. offerings. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So. I guess with that, what advice would you give founders uh, to help better foster positive relationships with these said financial institutions? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think, that, you know, I could probably talk for an hour about that because we, we, we work with a lot of founders or, or companies that are scaling to help them try and get, you know, their message clear to be able to sell to mm-hmm. a financial institution. So if you're, you know, if you're B2B, obviously, because this is probably more of a B2B conversation, like, you you need to understand who that person is that you should be calling. You know what's funny? I did a panel at um, this, you know, kind of private event in, I don't even remember when it was, um, sometime. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it was called the Northwinds Fintech blah, 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 something or other. Anyway, it was a really great event. But um, the panel was... Uh, Intact's head of um, investments and partnerships and National Bank's head of investments and partnerships. And both of them would say not a ton of Canadian fintechs actually call on them. So shock number one. Wow. Yeah, I know. I was like, what the hell? Like, that's not, that's, 
because you, you hear more, oh, well, you know, I, don't, I can't get my foot in the door. So first of all, anyone running a, um, an, a, you know, an investment fund that is looking to invest in, in fintech companies or, or, you know, the partnership guys, definitely spend some time with them. You gotta be careful that you're, you're you know, each, each organization is at a different maturity level when it comes to being able to work with a startup. And, and unfortunately, some have, some get off on the wrong foot, right? Some do a uh, proof of concept in their innovation lab, and unfortunately, their innovation lab isn't properly supported yeah. by their CEO. Remember that like big middle mm-hmm. executive problem? Mm-hmm. And so that POC never goes anywhere. But I think, I, I think it's about just trying to understand what does your product do that will help that financial institution? Make sure that that's what you lead with instead of your... We're going to take you out of business. This is our approach, whatever, right? Or even right? your product, right? Like, right. Because not, you know, <laughs> I had a boss like 20 years ago that, you know, you have those bosses, right, in your career, the ones that tell you things that you remember. And he said, <laughs> he said... Um, Sue, like, they're, they're not that smart. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, I mean, you're presenting to whatever, an executive, you know, team of the parent company, and you're so perplexed why they're not getting it. And what he was saying was sometimes they just don't understand what you're telling them. So he didn't mean, like, they're stupid, but he meant, you know, don't expect that just because you're meeting with an F- SVP or a VP or an EVP, that they have any clue what you're talking about, right? Like, you know, like the, the you need to you need to help them understand. I've built this product that actually will help you, um, you know, reduce your costs or sell more or whatever it is their you know product does, um, and then go from there. That will create a much better conversation. So it's a lot like when if anybody does sales, you learn. Okay, if you can pitch to a nine-year-old. And she or he, he or she gets it, you nailed it. Same mentality is what you're telling me? I think so. But I mean, I also think that, um, you know. Layman's terms. Layman's terms, but that the nine-year-old, you know, I think it is. Has a master's in finance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> no, just like know who you're selling to. Know your customer. Who's your target customer? How do you actually, you know, find them and get to them? And then, make, yeah, get off on the right foot. Okay. So, Sue, what would be... I guess your golden nugget that's helped you with the massive success you've had so far in your career. What's the one, two things that stuck that like that mm. held true, stood the test of time that helped navigate through your success, help you through your success? Oh boy. You didn't ask me this question in, in the oh, list God. of questions beforehand. Now I have to only pick one. Um, I could pause it. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I think one is, um, you know, I think instincts are really important right now in this fast, fast-moving, you know, world we live in. Um, so I would, I would be, you know, say, follow your instincts. And when you're in your corporate career or whatever, like if you've been working for a while and people keep telling you that they don't think your ideas are, are right, but you do, you're probably right. And maybe it's time for you to go find another, you know, another place to, you know, do your, do your stuff. Um, when I left my last job, which I honestly didn't necessarily feel was as fulfilling as it should have been after 25 years, um, you know, this is like what we're doing now is 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 exactly what I was trying to do before, and it's very successful. So, 
but that takes a lot of I mean it's gonna take a lot of hard work all right like it's not it is a seven day a week thing um, and in fintech in Canada um, you have to actually be on the ground right you're not gonna read a report or you know check a LinkedIn feed or whatever and really truly understand how to be successful you actually have to get out and talk to people and you know put a face to a name and spend time understanding like there's pockets there's the, I call them little subcultures right there's all these little pockets of, of you know groups of people who have relationships have done business together before have have started companies before and they're all helping each other out and if you can add some value to that conversation they'll help you out of course right like we actually are a very collaborative um, you know group in fintech and uh, and so I'd, I'd say like you know commit some time and actually do your I don't know community service mm-hmm. and be out there trying to learn um, and I think that will take you much farther than than you think Cool. So essentially what you're saying is uh, stop listening to podcasts like this and <laughs> call the said financial institutions that help fund your dream, right? Okay. <laughs> More or less? Whatever, yeah. Whatever, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sue, thank you so much for taking, taking time out of your super busy schedule to be a guest. This has been super enlightening. Oh, it's been Super fun. insightful. It's been fun. I love the National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association. I, I think Craig... Is awesome. He's done some really great things. That is a community champion. If there isn't, you know, a good model for that, everybody should, you know, he asks you to do something, do it. Like it's a, you guys, you and Craig and and others. Like we need more of of you. So that's why I do this because I think it's important. Okay, awesome. Shout out to Craig Casino. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sue, thanks so much. This has been fun. Uh, I hope to have you again. This is gonna be. I'm excited like, to get you on the episode again. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.